welcome to the Confident Feminine Body Podcast, a place of healing and transformation in your relationship with your body, food, and fitness. I'm your host, Elizabeth Marbury. I'm an intuitive healer and coach and founder of our Confident Feminine Body Program, where I help women build their self-worth from the inside out, free their voice, and love the sexy skin they're in without diets, deprivation, and self-sacrifice. Think of this podcast as your empowering and fun self-love guide, where you'll get real-time advice and tangible tools as we navigate this body and food freedom journey together. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Feminine Body Podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Marbury, and If you don't know me already, I'm the owner and founder of our 12-week Confident Feminine Body Program, where I help women to own their worth, free their voice, and love the powerful skin that they are in, no matter their size or their age. And I am so honored and excited about this interview that we have today with Maggie. Maggie is a a board certified, I'm going to, I'm going to go back and say that again. Um, (laughs) We can edit this. People on our Facebook hey, group. Don't mind. I'm not worried. I'm not worried. It's real okay, life. Cool. It's real life. So Maggie Landes is a board certified physician, public health nutritionist, and anti-diet wellness expert. She created her signature Get Eat Fluence coaching program to help women who are exasperated with chronic dieting be able to fix their food overwhelm and live a full and unrestricted life pursuing their personal passions without the distraction of rigid eating behavior. She is also the creator and host of the Eat Fluencer podcast, where she and her guests dig into the mindset work required to construct a healthy, complete, and high-quality life, unlimited by the impression of diet culture. Amen to that. So Maggie, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. I'm so glad to be here, Elizabeth. It's great. Yes. And Maggie and I met on Clubhouse. Clubhouse. Yep. (laughs) Which if you guys don't know, it's a social networking app and it's a really cool way to connect with people. And when I heard Maggie speak on stage and I, and I knew she was an anti-diet wellness expert, I was like, we need to connect more in the anti-diet space. It can feel kind of isolating sometimes. So Maggie totally has taken me under her wing and I'm so excited for her to share her story. So Maggie, can you share with us when and where did you get interested in nutrition? Well, you know, I've always been interested in food and nutrition. It's just always been fun to me. I've always liked cooking and and had an interest in nutrition. I will tell you in full disclosure, I'm in my mid forties. So I grew up in the, you know, eighties and nineties diet culture heyday. Um, So I was well indoctrinated into sort of our cultural, you know, what, what the culture says nutrition is all about is what I'm getting there. Um, I went to medical school practice. I've been in practice now 19 years and was very much honestly reflecting that diet culture message in my professional practice, because that's what most physicians do. And there's a whole, that's a whole other conversation why that's such a big problem. But, um, I got sick. So I got, I was diagnosed with cancer, uh, four years ago. Now it was not as a relate, uh, related to any sort of 
you know, preventable thing. It was lymphoma. Um, and I'm in remission and doing well, but I started really doing like a deep dive into nutrition at that time because I wanted to learn everything. I, I was sure I was still in diet culture. So I was convinced that there's like a perfect human diet. And I was the only human that hadn't figured it out yet. And I was going to figure it out because we don't want to die. Right. We don't want to have something that we could have prevented. So in my studying, and I mean like studying like research articles and stuff, not just reading Instagram, um, there is a lot to uncover about the science of dieting and why it doesn't really work. And all this science that has evolved about uh, intuitive eating and all these sorts of different um, psychological aspects of, of food and our relationship to our bodies. Uh, I was like, oh my word, I've got to learn more. So I went back to grad school because that's what you do for fun when, you know, right. You're you looking for some pool. Why wouldn't you want to? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm an Enneagram three. And if that puts it in perspective for anybody, that's what we do. We go to grad school as like a hobby. So I, uh, went to grad school. I have a master's degree now in public health nutrition and, uh, really have taken up this uh, anti-diet platform because I believe in it. I believe that's where the evidence is. I believe it in my soul. And I have almost completely left my clinical practice, to be honest, to pursue this because I feel like it's that important for, for women specifically. Um, but it's also important collectively as a group of women, as a culture of women. So I just, it's what I think about and live and breathe and talk about every day now, as you well are well aware. (laughs) Yes. I'm well aware that this is why we're so in alignment and yes. I, so for those who are listening and maybe they're not familiar with the term diet culture, and I've, I've experienced this too, where I've, I've shared that term and people are like, oh, I'm not a, I'm not on, on a, a diet. diet. I yes. like, that's not me. So can you talk about when we say diet culture, what do we mean diet culture? Yeah, that's really important. That's an important point because we get so used to that sort of a colloquial language for us that it, we forget that that's not just what everybody knows. So what we say when we mean diet culture, we're not talking about a branded diet, you know, trademark Weight Watchers or whatever. We're talking about the social expectation, the so the set of social and cultural beliefs that are false. Number one is that your body size is under your immediate control. Number two, that weight and health are synonym words, which they are not. And number three, this whole compulsion to always be shrinking yourself is a moral obligation. So that's what diet culture means. So it means subscribing to that belief system. It doesn't mean you have to be on a diet. It can mean you're behaving in a way that is sort of pursuing those ideas, um, which makes it a way bigger uh, bucket. Yeah. You know? And basically it digs up a lot of worms. Yeah. And you're in it. Like the, the bottom line is we are all in it. If you live in a, if you're listening to this and you're on a Facebook live or listening to Elizabeth's podcast, you're, you're in diet culture. I mean, you're in a Western, uh, you know, modern society, you're in diet culture and you are influenced by those beliefs, whether you think you are or not. And yeah. once you start being aware of it, it is like coming out of a matrix and you can't, Oh my gosh. Yeah. You can't like unsee it. Right. Once yeah, you, yeah. you can't unsee it once you recognize yeah. all the directions 
as it comes at us, you it's that's an important step. Absolutely. So I, I think defining that is really important. Yeah. And, and part of, yeah, yeah, I love what you, what you just shared. Part of the diet culture is worshiping the thin ideal and, and selling us this story that if we're in a smaller body or we're thin, that means that we're healthy. And I'm a person who has struggled with disordered eating. I struggled with binge eating disorder and you wouldn't have been able to even look at my body and know that I struggled with disordered eating. So it's, I, I'm so passionate about this because we can't look at a person. I like our culture kind of teaches us that you see this thin, thin person and we assume that they're healthy. And then on the flip side of it, there's so much discrimination and weight stigma. And I know that we're going to talk about that today too. So I feel like this kind of leads into, can you tell us about health at every size and what what that is and how that comes into combat diet culture. Yes. Right. And that's, um, the health at every size, or you'll see abbreviated H A E S on, you know, if you see that in the social media or whatever, that's what it stands for health at every size. This comes out of research that was done by, uh, Dr. Linda Bacon. And there's a book published called health at every size conveniently, um, which is well worth reading. And, uh, it's based on studies she did about, sort of this uh, inclusive way of teaching people nutrition versus a diet rigid, you know, kind of traditional way. And it turns out that health, and I mean, when we say health, we're talking about at the very bottom line, preventing disease and death. I mean, that's really, you can define that a lot of other ways, quality of life and things like that. But in terms of uh, health, like when measuring your blood pressure, your glucose panel, your lipid, I mean, health. Okay. You can, uh, achieve health at every size body. And, and to make that more simple, there are people in larger or fat bodies that are healthy and have a very low risk of disease or dying. There's people in thin bodies that have a very high risk because they have all very unhealthy sort of metrics and the vice versa. Okay. So, I mean, you can be thin and healthy or fat and unhealthy or fat. There's like sort of four groups. The point is we need, we, everybody, medical professionals, nutrition professionals, we need to be talking about health and not about the size because the size is just like a distractor from the conversation that we need to be having. So the misunderstanding that people have is they see it and they think we are saying, fatter people are healthier. That's not what it says. It says that health and health promoting behavior, really what, what's actionable is the health promoting behavior. So you can't change your weight just by like change your weight. Like you can't just like will yourself to be bigger or smaller. What you can do is take on some health promoting behaviors that may, may change your size. But what we really care about is that it changes your health. So that's the whole point. So really it's, it's, uh, we're not saying one size body is better or worse. We're just saying, let's just stop talking about the size altogether. Cause that doesn't actually have anything to do with us being healthy or alive or dead. And this is where diet culture <laughs> yeah. tricks, tricks us is if you look at, you know, get fit, 
get healthy, it's all weight focused. It's, it's like, all weight focused. Use 20 pounds in 30 days, or this is how I did this. And it's like, instead of like your health, instead well, of like yeah, your see, that's work. kind of like, that's kind of like sexy to sell you like, Hey, shred for the dress or something instead of like, Hey, you want to raise your HDL? I'll tell you how. <laughs> like that doesn't have the same uh, consumer appeal. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they are, it's a business. Let's like, we have to make that crystal clear diet culture and the diet industry is a business. It's not a healthcare model. It's not health delivery. It's not public health. It's not a eating disorder recovery. It is business. And they depend on you giving them money and coming back and giving them more money. So if you actually could shred and get healthy in 12 weeks, that actually wouldn't serve them very well because you wouldn't come back and give them more money. You would be done, right? Exactly. So when you see that, you're like, oh my gosh, yeah. That's the only business model where they give you a product that almost always does not work. And then you come back and buy more of it. Like you would never do that, right? With any other product that you buy. Yeah. And, and not only do you buy more of it, but you blame yourself. You say, I'm the failure. I don't have yeah. the motivation. It's there's something wrong with me. And they want you to believe that. Yes. That there's something like imperably wrong with you. And because so- then you're dependent on them. Yeah. You're become dependent on them. And guess what? You come back next time with five of your friends who also have visa cards. So it works out very beautifully for them. Um, and I can't blame them for running a business. They can, I mean, I'm, they can sell whatever they want. But my problem is the deception that it is health. If they want to say, hey, this is a quick fix diet. You might lose some weight in two weeks. You're going to wreck your metabolism and probably gain all the weight back. Would you like to still purchase it? That's fine. You, this is a free society. You can, you're welcome to do that. But to take these vulnerable yeah. people that are looking for just an answer, some clarity, you know, to just get unconfused. Everybody's so confused. And then they're told that they have to have this product that they'll need forever. You know, just, I, it's, that's what burns me up about it. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. It's not, there's no transparency. There's no honesty and it's getting so sneaky too, because everyone knows that diet is a dirty word. So oh, yeah. it's not called a diet anymore. It's called, you know, the wellness plan or whatever. And it's the same thing. It's so can you help people? How can they identify if something is a diet? Like what are some red flags? I have my list of things that I see and I'm like red flag. So red flag with our listeners, like, Cause I, I feel like I've talked to so many women who are like, Oh, Elizabeth, I don't diet. I just, you know, I just don't eat carbs. And I'm like, like what, you know, why don't, why don't you eat carbs? And they're like, well, you know, it's like, they're still in that, that restriction. And so can you talk to me? Let's talk about, first of all, let's just talk about how do we identify what, when you're doing that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I have sort of this list of like red flag, kind of neon, flashing neon words. And if you are either saying out of your mouth or thinking in your head, I should, I can't, I'm not allowed, I'm supposed to, any words like in that vein, that means you're following somebody else's rules. 
I mean, that's like what we're that I mean, when I say, you know, I should drive slower on the freeway. That's because there's a speed limit. And I, somebody told me it was 75 and I should drive slower. Like, that's not my idea. I didn't make the speed limit up. Okay. So when you start using words like should, can't, allowed, have to, you're giving that power to this external voice in this case, which is diet culture. So So there's a difference. And this is the thing is that people say, but I really, I feel better when I eat less carbs or whatever. Okay. So let me tell you, there's a, there's a different way of thinking. So if the answer is I prefer to have a smaller portion of rice with my meal because I feel less bloated and I sleep better or whatever, that's you making the decision. If you say I'm not supposed to eat rice because I can't have more than X number of cups of rice or whatever, that's somebody else making the decision. Yeah. So you can still make healthy choice, healthy. And I hate the word healthy, but you know, you can still make what people perceive as to be healthy choices for yourself, but you're doing it based on yourself and your own authority. Yes. You that's the, the difference out of my mouth Inner authority. It's like, that yeah. is the difference. That is that's the, the difference. difference. And, and to your point too, when I was struggling with binge eating disorder, it was because I had so much mental restriction and guilt. If I had a cookie or something, I would be like, okay, I'm going to have a cookie. And, and I didn't really give myself permission to have a cookie. Oh no. It was like, this is so bad. And I always say like, if you're feeling that guilt around food, that is something to take a look at because the, once I started to really give myself permission and know that it was okay. And I could trust myself with food. Then I stopped needing to eat the whole bag of cookies because I knew the cookies were always available to me. They were not going to be taken away. And Maggie, I've heard you say so many times, and I talk about this all the time too, is that restriction and deprivation leads to over consuming and yes. fullness. And then we think, oh, well, I can't be trusted with this food. So I have to cut restrict it Restrict more. Yeah. Restrict more. The answer is restriction more. And that's, you get in this cycle. And so uh, I want to, I want to emphasize this because this is really important is this keeping it neutral. Like food is just like a thing. And that's one of the concepts, one of the sort of tenets of intuitive eating is this food neutrality. And people are like, yeah, I know it's an inanimate object. I know it's just a thing. I know it doesn't have a, per- but no, you really don't. Because if you're saying that cookies are bad and broccoli is good, then you're assigning it a value, a moral value. And it's just a thing. Like we don't say like, you know, socks are good and car keys are bad. I mean, there's no, like, it's, it's, it's just a thing. And so you're giving it power. Um, And it's uh, when we think we're being neutral, you're probably not. You probably need to back up like 10 steps. And when you're using words, like that's why I said healthy in air quotes, because even healthy or junk food or whole food, clean food, uh, you know, all this sort of stuff is like, those are, those are just impregnated with this, uh, like you said, this feeling And then, and then it goes a step further because then it becomes about you. So now not only is the cookie bad, now you're bad. Oh my gosh. And that there's a lot of psychology with that. So, yeah. So the neutrality is really important and the, but the solution is counterintuitive because the, you would think that to stop binging, you stop, you know, you restrict more. 
you need to pull back the reins tighter and tighter, but that's actually causes the problem to be worse. Exactly. And that's what I personally live through. I yeah. personally live through that of when I told myself I couldn't have it, that's when I would sneak in the pantry and shove it in my yeah. mouth and not even taste it. Right. right? And, and guess who's going to tell you that restricting is the answer. The people who sell the restriction plans and exactly. are selling you the programs and the apps and the, this and that and the other, like, yeah. And, and I want everyone to think about this too. It's like, our bodies are so wise. Our bodies are, this is why it's called intuitive eating, right? We, and, and Maggie, I'm going to have you talk a little bit more about intuitive eating and what is it and kind of a high level approach to, you know, how to remember (laughs) your intuitive eating skills. But I think that's where I, I, you can, you guys can sense Maggie and I are so passionate about this because we live in a culture that wants us to think that we are, cannot be trusted with our bodies, that we cannot be trusted by food, that we must follow someone else's rules and regulations. Here's the truth. No one knows how hungry or full you are. No one knows how a food is going to make you feel right. And so if anyone is telling you that they know how you're going to feel in your body, I call BS on that. Because Absolutely. you only, you know, and so this, this becoming part of anti-diet, the anti-diet culture movement is taking back your power and trusting yourself. Yes. It's a lot about trust. Cause like, here's the thing, the human body is amazing. It is fascinating. And I say this all the time. I'm sure you've heard me say this on clubhouse, whether, whether you're a believer in divine creation or whether you just believe in good engineering Okay. It like has to work. It has to work. We would be extinct as a species if the body did not have, you know, feedback loops and all this sort of stuff. So, so your body is trying to work without disruption and and to work in a healthy way, whether you want to believe it or you choose to learn about it, or you choose to understand it, that's not, it's happening in the background regardless. So your biology Yeah. So when you start learning about it and working kind of like with what's already going on, instead of fighting it all the time, it becomes much more comfortable and sustainable and actually healthier, you know? Yeah. It's just, we, we have to take that back. Like you said, we have given away our power and our agency to this diet culture throne that has told us we are less worried. And see, I think the message is bigger. Like the, the explicit messaging is make your body smaller all the time. I mean, that's the message like in red headlines, smaller, tighter tone, more tone. Yeah. But see, I think the message in between the lines is stay small, keep your voice small, stay distracted. If stay over here in the corner and count your calories and don't have an impact on the world because you won't have as much value until you shrink really knowing that, you know, we're just all, we're sitting here distracting and disrupting our lives. And when you think about the money, time and emotional bandwidth that we collectively are, are spending on this, what if we did something else, anything else, anything, Yeah. And I I feel like I'm getting emotional hearing you talk about that because I think about personally how 
how many hours of my life did I spend wishing I was in a different body? Yeah. And I can't get that time back. Right. So yeah, it's, it's like, I agree with you so much. It's like, what can we do if we're not pouring into this obsession over trying to fix these broken bodies? And, and see, we talk to ourselves, you know, this is a little off topic, but it's really not like we talk to ourselves in that internal dialogue very differently than we would talk to another person. So I would never tell you, you know, Elizabeth, I actually think I would like you a little more if you were smaller. I think we could be better friends if you wore smaller pants. I think you would be more valuable in my life if you lost whatever pounds. Like I would never say, I would never say that to anybody, but we say that to ourselves. What, why is that? Like, why, how do we get there? Yeah. yeah. And, and getting curious about where does that voice come from? Right. It could come from your mother who also was raised in diet culture. It could come from the magazines you're consuming, the social media you're consuming, just living in the society, right? Your doctor who told you that everything is about you losing weight and you don't. Can we talk about the doctor side? Cause you are a doctor. I mean, it's it like, I'm so honored to have you on my show because I'm not a doctor and to, to hold space, I have so much respect for you. And I think I always talk about this, but I think it's even more powerful coming from you as a doctor. Like how is the medical profession contributing to this? Well, it's contributing in a big way and it's problematic. And I'm not, I don't want to throw doctors like an individual doctor under the bus because there's a very, very big problem with our education. Uh, we don't, we don't basically get this education. I mean, there, there's not, this is not a conversation that's even had as far as I know, it certainly wasn't when I was in medical school 20 years ago. And and to my knowledge with my more recent nutrition graduate school, it's still very much a diet culture slanted education. So you take a bunch of professionals, train them in diet culture, they are still in like, we're just people. I mean, I I appreciate your, your very flattering, the respect, but like, we're just people like doctors and dietitians and whoever farm, you know, whatever are, we're just people. And so we see the same magazines, the same internet, go to the same grocery store as you do. So we're influenced personally by diet culture. We are educated in diet culture. You drop us into a system to treat patients that is very diet culture influenced. I mean, the, the scale is in the hallway of, of the office. We have, you know, weight at the top of the little vital signs sheet. Like we, it's, it's, we have a poster on the wall from the freaking food pyramid from the 1970s, whatever, like, and we're in a place and, you know, we've already been talking half an hour. Okay. And think of, we've just scratched the surface. Most doctors have seven to 10 minutes per patient. That's it. And they have to talk about everything, everything. So this, this conversation, even if you had a doctor who is interested, who's knowledgeable, who knows about this, they're not in an environment where this can be facilitated. They're just not, it's just not. So, and then that's, they're set up to fail. Basically, They're set up to fail. So yeah. So the, so the individual people, the training and the system is all set up to service diet culture and disservice the patient in this respect. It just is. Yeah. Um, and there's I want to fix it. I mean, I'm, I'm just crazy enough to think that I'm going to like fix it, but you are going to fix it. Girl. Gonna fix you it. are going to fix it. Right. But it's, you know, while I'm shaking this tree in the meantime, um, just even an awareness that that is going on is 
is eye-opening for a lot of people. Yes. Yeah. And and because if you are particularly in a marginalized, larger fat body and you go to the doctor's office, the entire encounter is a weight stigmatized experience, the whole thing from top to bottom. Um, you know, and I would like to say that it's a good experience for people in slender bodies, but I don't think that's even true because I bet you a hot dollar, we are missing whore. I know, and I don't have to bet you, I know we are, we're missing hordes and hordes and hordes of people in slender bodies who have eating disorders, who have drug addictions, who have all sorts of issues, but they get sort of like a hall pass because they're skinny and their BMI, which is bull crap is normal. So Mm-hmm. We're missing both sides of the equation. This really is a disservice to everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk about weight stigma because I think so in this space, I've, I'm always, you know, obviously I, I have my own, I've had my own battle with my body, with food, with being a woman in our society, who's kind of always chasing this, this, um, you know, the appearance and and the body. And and I've done a lot of healing around that, but I always say I've never been in a larger body. I, I haven't been discriminated against for my weight. Um, except for, I did get a B minus in college for my weight. That's right. You told me that, which is just that I, yeah, I I know. Cause it was dance, right? I was a dance major in college and I'm sure they don't do this anymore, but I got a B minus on weight and was told to take the, or tell, I was told to take the stairs, not the elevator, but besides that, and obviously that was during the height of my disordered eating, which was very harmful, but I've never been in a larger body. And I, I feel like I want to be an advocate for people in larger bodies. And I want to, I want to bust open, like what is weight stigma and how, how does that impact? Right. Um, well, so there's two different conversations and it took me a long time to sort of understand that these are separate and parallel conversations. One of them is body neutrality and body image issues and this sort of obsession with dieting and obsession with our bodies that can be present in anybody, including thin people, you know, the separate conversation is the cultural conversation that is, and, you know, we use the word weight stigma. It's really a anti-fat or a fat bias. It's like that navigating culture, when they leave their front door, people in larger bodies and the larger the body, the more challenging this interface is because they can't find a seat at a restaurant that they can fit in. They don't have access to clothing. They don't have access. They can't get on the the rides at Disneyland. They can't, you know, their doctor doesn't have the right equipment to do a proper exam. Like that part is a cultural external thing that people in large bodies face and it's it's a means of discrimination and so and so we have to recognize that and see it's uh, you know it's really part of this intersection you know I don't want to get into this deeply but you know there's all sorts of issues with feminism and race and and classism and ageism and all this sort of stuff so they're layered on top of each other so the more and more of those that sort of a um, apply to an individual person, that individual is then further and further and further marginalized 
from sort of mainstream society, the more of those things that apply to them. So, it, you know, we're not discounting that you can be in a thin body and having eating disorder or have body image issues. That is very clearly a major, major problem. That is, however, a different problem than somebody who can't get a job because of their body shape or, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing. So yeah. they're both important conversations, but the power is diluted when we think that they're the same conversation and we yeah. try to blend all this in. Like I've had the same experience as you, as you, as you Well, yeah. not, it, not exactly. I'm not invalidating either thing, but the, the problem is different and the answer is different. Yeah. So no, that's I so important to discern. You. I so yeah. appreciate, and that's helpful to me even in, in talking about it, right. That those are two totally separate things. And that makes total sense. It's like a lived experience. They're very, very different things. And we, and it's so important to acknowledge the, the fat bias and, and the judgment and all of the, all of the, the hardships of like, I, I I've said that I have thin privilege And I said that actually in one of my coaching calls recently, and one of my clients was like, I'd never even heard that term thin privilege. And I hadn't honestly heard that term until recently either. And then, but it's like, it's, it's just acknowledging that I have access to more because I'm in a a smaller body because the society is set up to favor my size body instead of a person in a larger body. Right. And that's what it means. It's, I I don't love the word privilege. And I think that's what's sort of off-putting when we talk about thin privilege, white privilege, male privilege, whatever it is. It's, I don't like that word because it makes it seem like something that that individual, like an attitudinal thing or something. And it's, it's not, it is, it's it's, it's strictly an objective uh, observation about access is all it is. Exactly. That's all it is. Yes. And that's all it is. I appreciate you saying that because I used to have a weird feeling with the word privilege. And then I did a circle with, um, Literal, um, who's one of my good friends uh, about, about white privilege and race. And, and we unpack that and she, and she shared kind of, and she actually helped me to, to, um, see that word privilege in a different way. Cause I would, I would always kind of be like, well, I like, what, what did I do? Like, you know, like there's right. like guilt around it and it's not that it's more just saying, it's just acknowledging that I have the, this society is set up in this way that this, this it, being in a thin body, I have access to more than a person in a larger body. And that's not to say that I should feel bad. I didn't, I didn't choose to be in this body. I was just born into this body, but it is important to just acknowledge. Yeah. Yeah. So those two conversations are both very important and they're parallel, but they're not the same conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get into, um, some things that if people are listening and no matter what size their bodies and they're, they're feeling into, wow, I want to cultivate healthy and sustainable behaviors around food. Can we talk about intuitive eating and sort of some first steps if people are wanting to go in that route? Yes. And intuitive eating is a a framework of thinking. It's not a, another diet. Okay. And I want to make that really, really clear because people frequently will misunderstand that they, if you buy the book, which I highly advise that the intuitive eating framework was, is not my idea. Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch came up with this. They wrote a book. And here's the interesting part. That book was first published in the 1990s. 
And so if you think this conversation is a little countercultural right now, put yourself in a time machine and go back 25 years. I mean, they, I'm so proud of them for making this uh, visible even back then, but that's a side note. So there, there's 10 sort of principles and I'm not going to go through them in the interest of time, but the mistake is that people say, oh, it's like a 10 step program. And I do step one and I check and then I do step two and check. And that's not, that's making intuitive eating into a, the intuitive eating diet culture version, uh, which is a, not how it was intended. That's not, I mean, they have to put, they have to, they even say in their book, they're like, listen, we had to number these because it's a book. Like you have to like, there has to be some organizational structure. They can't just have like one big 300 page run on sentence. So that's, it's just purely convention. It's nothing, there's no magic in that. So it's a way of thinking. And if I had to summarize it in, you know, a sentence or two, it's basically learning how you have that, like we talked about that sort of uh, agency, that personal agency, but it gives you the tools of how to do that. So that sound, the idea sounds fine and good. Like I want to take my authority back. And then you're pushing your cart through the grocery store and you're like, and what, how exactly am I going to do that? <laughs> totally. You know? So it makes the concept that is, you know, uh, a little bit less tangible into like, okay, here's what we actually do. Like, here's the words we say in our mouth. This is how we figure out what to put on the grocery list. You know, how we, you know, it's just sort of like a real more tactical approach to taking that power back. The idea is taking the power back, but you know, taking power back is a little vague, you know, yeah. take the power back. Okay. Yeah, great. Yes. So, um, and the interesting part is it's, first of all, it's a process. So it's, it's a learn, it's a, you know, thing you learn and get better at over time. You don't like read the book, shut the cover. Now you're an intuitive eater and we're on with it. It's not like that. So um, the interesting part is really seeing how then your approach to food and eating is open-ended, interesting optimistic, hopeful, curious, all these good high energy things instead of scrutinizing, judgmental, rigid, you know, restrictive. It's like, well, you actually want to do it better because it's in, it's fun and it feels good to your body. So, and there's freedom, there's freedom. Yeah, there's freedom. And you sort of, you walk into the produce section at the grocery store and you're like, well, you know what? This is a pretty big place. I think I could probably find a vegetable to put on my plate this week. Look at all the choices. Let's see what I'm going to pick instead of like, must have three ounces of green beans twice a week at 7 PM, or I will self-destruct, you know, like it's just different when you're looking at it through this real open-minded lens. And there's a lot of psychology in that you're way more likely to be sort of compliant with it and, and believe in it. If it's a pleasant experience. Oh my gosh. So th Absolutely. That's, that's, yeah. I love that. Yeah. We're more likely to repeat a behavior if it's pleasurable. And well, yes, yes. Right? We're like, who wants to do something miserable over and over, but that's what we're doing. I don't know. We're doing oh it. Gosh. I mean, I this is why I, I go crazy when I see like, so as we're recording this, it's about to be summer. I'm not sure when this episode is going to come out, but right now in the media, all you see is Ooh, the pool is opening soon. You got to get your summer body. And again, I just want to say like any kind of shaming messages around your body or this idea 
that you need to just fix your body for a certain time period of the year, like jump ship, because I don't know about you guys, but the older I get, the more I'm like, I don't have time for these temporary things that are going to cause more harm than good. I am interested in investing in the things that are pleasurable, that are sustainable, that are healthy to me, that feel good in my body. And what feels good in my body might not feel good in your body. And that's okay. It's not a one size fits all approach. And that's what I love about intuitive eating is like, you are guided by there's so many different nuances and they break it down really well. So it's not just like I'm meditating and I know what to eat. It's not like that at all. Right. Well, Uh, and here's the other thing is how much more of your life. And I'm not saying this to guilt anybody about what you have done in the past, but how much more of your life are you willing to sacrifice to this sort of diet culture? God, I mean, really truly, because you have no idea. Life is so uh, fragile and unpredictable, and I say this because I had cancer, right? And I almost died. And let me tell you, my last few you know, thoughts when they're telling me I have cancer was not, oh, I'm so glad I wear a small pant size. You know, I, I hope that when I'm gone, my children remember that I stayed within my macros for 127 days in a row. Like nobody, that's asinine. So, you know, at, at some point, something may happen that is completely out of your control to affect your body or your health. People get sick with diseases, have accidents every day of the year. And if you have no other way to have value besides what you look like or, or the condition your body is in, you're going to be sorely uh, surprised when that is pulled out like a rug from under you. You know, yeah. if you, and so it's kind of like that and maybe it won't happen. I hope it doesn't. I, I don't wish that on anybody, but and, you know, and it, yeah. So many women say like, I feel like if we all just take a little time to reflect, it's, it's very clear, right? Like you could look at yourself. Maybe you look at yourself 20 years ago and you see a picture and maybe you're in a smaller body and, and you could see that, that woman and be like, she is so beautiful, but that, that little girl hated her body. Right. And, and I've, I've had women say that to me, like Elizabeth, I did it. I, I followed all the rules. I lost the, you know, 45 pounds or whatever their goal was. And they're in that body and they're still unhappy. And they still don't like their body. And that's because the body is not the problem. It's like getting into the, the worthiness. That's what you're, what you're talking about, right? Like a sense of purpose, a sense of, I am worthy of love, no matter my body size. Right. And your self image actually has very, very, very little to do with what you look like in a mirror or in a photograph or what size your pants are very little to do. And you make such a good point. I tell people all, cause another thing that I can't stand that is very diet culture is the before and after pictures. Oh my God. I can't stand those either. Yeah. They like, they always, I see them and I'm like, no, no, I can't stand it. It's diet culture. It's diet culture because you are putting all the emphasis on the weight and that the person in the picture, whether it's you or it's somebody else in the smaller body is more valuable. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Is basically yeah. that, that, you're you know, and the so smaller body is more valuable, more desirable, healthier, happier. And, and it's all, and you don't know any of that, right? You don't know any of that from a two dimensional picture like that. So that's why I hate them. But what I tell people is I say, listen, you right now, wherever you are in your headspace and your body size and everything else, 
you're already somebody else's after picture right now, right now. So there's somebody else who would take a picture of you today and say, I want to be just like that. Now, can you imagine if you actually disclose to that person, actually, I'm very insecure. I'm not comfortable. I have a terrible relationship with food. I hate my body. I do this, blah, 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 whatever you told them. You know, so the, so my point being that the person that you're looking to as your after picture, they probably feel the same way. And there's no, there's nothing magical that happens with the quality of your life or your personality or your contribution to the world or your value when you are in a bigger or smaller body. And the moment you understand that, then you can quit spending all this time and bandwidth trying to shrink your body or, or make your body bigger. Some people are trying to gain weight. I mean, whatever you're trying to do to subscribe to this like perfect little picture, like, let's just let go of that. And the interesting part about that is that when you get to this place, your weight will actually settle out where it is supposed to be, whatever that is, and quit this like cycling, totally uh, like wild labile weight cycling stuff that we're all doing, which is very unhealthy. Yes. Yes. So when you, cause say- I'll tell you what's more, yeah, more unhealthy than having some weight on your body is having your weight go up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down for 50 or 60 years. That's exactly. distressing to your insides. Yes. Yes. And that's scientifically proven. It's like, they don't want you to know that, you know, they don't want you to know that you going on the diet and doing the losing 45 pounds, gaining 45 pounds, that that's actually like causing more harm than if you had just not dieted in the first place. Right. Right. And we're talking like, this is a long game. Like this is the long game. So, you know, these diet culture stuff, the, I mean, it's obvious when they're like shred for the dress in seven days and all this kind of stuff is nonsense, but even the diet culture people will say, oh, well, 80% of our people have long-term success after six months or something. Okay. Well, I don't know about you and me, but six months to me is not very long-term. Like I'm 44 years old. So I hope I have more than six months left. Like, like I want to know, I want to see your data. You know, I'm talking to you, Mr. Diet Culture. Show me what's, what all your clients are like in 20 years. Mm. Well, they're not, you know why they're not showing you that they're not showing you that because the people are, are screwed up. (laughs) They're, they're disturbed. They have disordered eating. They have eating disorders. They've lost gain, lost gain, lost gain all the weight. Like it's, they're a wreck. Yeah. That doesn't look very good on their marketing materials. Yeah. Their metabolism has slowed down. Now they can't, when they do go on a diet again, it takes them longer to lose the weight. And then they always, they end up gaining all of it. Well, of course, diet culture is not going to show you that because that's not going to sell. And like we talked about before, it's a, it's about a product. It's marketing. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be like a marketing expert to know that you don't show bad results and expect people to come to your product, you know, or program. So we we just have to start seeing, I mean, the whole deal, you know, to put this in a big capsule is like, we have to recognize that this is at every turn. We are seeing this diet culture message at every turn. And we have the decision to subscribe to it and engage in it or not. Yeah. You know, and that's what I want people to understand. And if you're, if you want to be on a diet, okay, but understand 
that that's a diet, that that's a marketing, that's not healthcare. And that's fine. And I'm not, I don't dislike you. I don't have a problem with, I mean, that's fine. But I don't want anybody to be confused. I don't want anybody to think they're doing one thing when they're really doing something else. That's where I feel an obligation, especially as a medical provider, to make the information clear. And then you can decide. You know, you decide what you want to do. The whole thing is about personal agency. So, yeah, such such an important message. Yeah. And this... Maggie, this is so powerful. And as you said earlier, we have just scratched the surface. So if anybody is listening, there are so many different resources. And of course, Maggie is going to be sharing with you guys her resources in a minute, but definitely check out the health at every size book. Definitely check out intuitive eating. Um, I'm also a huge fan of Christy Harrison. She's an anti-diet nutritionist as well. And there's, I mean, once it's, it's like what Maggie said earlier, once you start to see it, you can't unsee it and you get to join this movement of, of us just reclaiming our time, our energy, our power, our money. And, um, and just know that myself, Maggie, we are here for it. We are here to support you. We're both coaches too. Like this is, this is why Maggie, will you just quickly share, like, why is a coach helpful when you're navigating intuitive eating or just making peace with your body or food? Well, yeah, this is cause this is a process. I mean, this is like the idea, the ideas are people catch on really quick to how great this sounds in theory. Like, of course, nobody has ever listened to me talk or, or had this conversation with me and they said, nah, I, I don't believe it. I think I'd rather just keep counting my calories. Um, you know, I mean, nobody says that. We, we understand that we need to be liberated from this like diet prison, but the, the how do we do that is it takes uh, mentorship and sort of coaching to get through that. And it depends a little bit on where you come from, what your history is, what your goals are, uh, lots of things. And so I really encourage you to find somebody and it may be there. Everybody has sort of a different skill set. You know, there's the people that really, really are experts in body image and body grief and, and body acceptance. There's people that are like their superpower is in the food and helping you in the kitchen and with really practical stuff. There's people that are, um, you know, into sort of the psychology piece or the clinical piece or there, it's not a one answer for everybody. And, and I'm not right for everybody and you're not right for everybody. That's fine. But it's, um, finding somebody that is speaking your language that can sort of help you move through this space because it can feel very isolating when every ad you see is for a diet program. When every conversation at girls night out is how many calories are in the chips and the margarita and stuff. And when you're trying to raise a family and you want your daughters who are in middle school, not to get obsessed with their body, but everybody's talking about how, what size they wear. And, you know, just it's complicated. It's complicated because the world is diet culture-y. And so really having a, a person or a community that is, you know, a place that is a safe place that is like a comfortable, trustworthy landing space is super key to this. Absolutely. It's helped me a lot too. I didn't just, I'm not magic either. I didn't like read this book. And then all of a sudden I'm like an expert either. I had mentors and, and guides and coaches that I worked with to, to get me to this place too. So yes, yes. I'm the same way. I, I had invested in several coaches and 
it really is a, a really incredible way to not only keep you accountable, but like you said, specifically with the diet culture piece of it is just feeling like you're not alone and validating and mirroring and, and, and really helping you with the how with the architecture. Cause I totally agree with, you know, we can intellectualize all of these things, but how, you know, it can feel scary. The whole, the whole intuitive eating process can feel scary, especially if you have been restricting for so long or, you're, you're in that sense of like, I don't trust my body. I don't, I don't know how to listen to its signals. I don't, you know, and so I definitely encourage anyone who is feeling, feeling that way, know that Maggie and I were coaches. We've hired coaches. No one is meant to do all of this by yourself, right? Like it's, 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 it's really important to seek out support and to build your community around you so you can feel seen, heard, acknowledged, witnessed, all of these things, right? Right, exactly. And I also want to just mention, um, I think we, we need to mention that if anybody thinks that they're struggling with an eating disorder, you know, that is a, a serious medical condition that requires multidisciplinary intervention. There is a very significant risk of bad things happening if you have an eating disorder that goes without treatment and help. So um, if you feel like you're one step beyond just some coaching and you need expert help, please either, you know, reach out to the national eating disorder hotline, or if you contact me or Elizabeth, we will put you in the right place because that does require something different. That is not a, a specialization I offer or that I believe you can offer either. So yeah. I want to make that clear in case somebody's listening and they're like, I need more than a coach. That's okay. We'll Thank find you. you. We'll get you. Yeah. Thank you, Maggie, so much for saying that. Absolutely. That is so important. So if people want to find out more about your coaching, your work, where can they find you? Well, it's easy because I'm Maggie Landis MD everywhere. That's my handle on Facebook and Instagram. And I'm the most active, I would say, in Instagram and Clubhouse because, you know, my Clubhouse thing. Oh, my gosh, the Clubhouse. I, I don't want to get into that. But uh, my website is also Maggie Landis MD. And I have sort of two services. I, I help anybody. I have a group coaching program as sort of my signature program to help facilitate these changes. I also have a pro to pro uh, sort of, I would say more consultative kind of coaching program. If you're a health professional, nutritionist, fitness professional, wellness person, and you have clients of your own and you want to help craft your own messaging and get a little more advanced education so that you can deliver a weight inclusive product to your clients, I can help you as well. So um, yeah, I just- Awesome. I didn't know yeah. you had both of those programs. That's awesome. Yeah. I just think the more eyes and ears that this message, and this is not about me personally getting business. This is about this platform being amplified and that my 13 year old daughter doesn't have to be on a podcast in 30 years talking about how tough it is to go out in public in your own body. You know, I want, Absolutely. I want us to, and I really believe we can honestly, I believe there's even just in this you know, I've been in this space for, like I said, only about five years. And so the conversations are more and more and more, um, evident and, uh, visible. And I think that's fantastic. So, yes. You know. Yes. We're going to keep sharing and shouting this message from the rooftops 
And I want to thank you, Maggie, for being here with me, for sharing all of your beautiful, positive energy. And it's so obvious that you are so deeply passionate about this mission. And I'm so happy to be aligned with you. Yes. Well, I am just so grateful to have this space and I mean, you, you get it, you're doing the good work and together we're going to like shake this tree (laughs) together. We are going to change the world, change the world. So thank you for having me, Elizabeth. Thank you. All right. Bye everybody. I'm Elizabeth Marbury, and I want to thank you for listening and hanging out with me today. Join our free community of brave soul sisters who are crushing it on their journey to body love and food freedom by going to confidentfemininebodygroup.com. That's confidentfemininebodygroup.com. And be sure to download my free gift while you're there. I'd also love to hang out with you on social media. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Elizabeth Marbury. I am sending you so much love today and always. See you next time.